Protu, so the tribe competed for the kill. Kathy was the first to find Protu. We found Go! And redeemed herself with the tribe. Great job, Kath. Matahamu awoke with their own morning radio show. It's time for some music. We're going to put on an oldie but a goodie. But Mama Patricia soon put an end to their fun. Now listen to me. I'm only going to tell you once. I know everything needs to go back where it's private. In the reward challenge, Rotu continued their streak. Rotu! Taking home the coveted snorkeling gear. Rob then choked in the immunity challenge, sending Matahamu to their second straight tribal council where Rob used his influence over Sarah She'll vote whatever way I tell her to vote to help oust Patricia from the tribe Patricia, tribe is spoken 14 are left who will be voted out tonight Talking to Gina, I thought he was just a lazy kid. Young, didn't care. I'm having a hard time. of John and are you Back in it. You guys are dry. What? 
on the camera hold on here we are ready Wednesday Today's allegedly I know right I'm covering you in post-it notes but I can still see everything okay that's actually I feel like my existence so like I get I get a lot of shit at work because I survive on post-it notes yeah, <laughs> I wish you could see what I'm looking at it's basically your face inside a little circle of papers um... that's awesome no I love it <laughs> Because I put them, if what I do is if if they're worth keeping, then I put them like in my notebook. But if not, I just toss them. But so that's why I end up with like this buffer of so many here. So like, so like at work, like I'm like, like just like like stacks of post-it notes, and then like at the end of the week, I'll like go, oh, like this one's done, and I get to like crunch it up, yeah. toss it, and it feels so good. And then I can be like, oh no, this one's still important. And then like the best thing at the end of the week is to like get a brand new post-it note and go okay here are the stupid little things i didn't finish yet that now have gone from like 12 dozen post-its <laughs> yeah to the one Simplified. and it's like yes yeah. yeah no so like yeah no you can see right, right now i have an economy of post-it i have like i i, I double side my motherfucker because oh. i don't like to waste yeah. i don't like to, it's bad it's bad. It's good. I'm gonna get better about that. I'm. Uh, I've been writing many notes. I will say this: that my post-it notes don't cost me anything. They come from my. <laughs> they come from someone's um. Uh, place where post-it notes come from. <laughs> so. I get mine from work. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what I was saying. Um, <laughs> something like that is what I was saying. So let me drink this caffeine. I also have like I'll say like a historical group of post-its so like I will like I have like when I was in law school I went to like Costco or whatever and bought like an industrial amount of post-its right and like I still have a bunch you know like all of these years later or whatever and I'm like yeah yeah these are vintage <laughs> yeah totally 
That's what I feel like um, uh, some of mine were. I used to have some really cool ones that were like the, the company I used to work for, but um, now I just, uh, yeah, now I'm just happy getting any old one to come with. And I love these colors, man. The colors they come in now are way cooler than the ones they used to have. It'd be like a color of purple that was so dark you could write on it and you wouldn't be able to see what you wrote. Um, I remember. I those. also like it when there there's like specialty post-its. So like whenever there's like graph paper post-its, fucking forget it. I'm all over that shit. Yes, I'm, I would love that. That would be good for um, when I'm going full psycho mode on a conspiracy or something. <laughs> um, let's see. Okay. I was trying to pull up this one clip for Survivor. Not that I'm sure the audience isn't already listening to us, but um, I just want to get the part where the judge and Sean go on a little helicopter ride and um, there we go. Yeah, it's this. <laughs> okay, it's about 10.45. All right, I'll be right back, and we'll actually start. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> Let's see, what is it? It is Wednesday. Uh, it is Wednesday, July 6th, 2022, at 6.30-ish, uh, my time. 8.30-ish where Kathy is. Hello, uh, I'm, I'm Brian, and this is Kathy. Hello, Kathy. How's it going? Hello, it's going pretty good. I've watched a ton of things that we've talked about this week, and I hope I can even remember them all because a lot of them were things you actually you brought up last week. Um, and then I was like, oh, yeah, those are some things, and I caught up with something. But let's see. Let me look through my notes. I've seen – I saw Wall Street twice, um, mm, the movie mm. Wall Street by – which wasn't one of the movies that you brought up specifically when we were talking about uh, the director um, <laughs> of JFK. Oliver Stone. Oliver Stone, yes. thank you. Um, and that was an excellent film. I really loved it uh, just because of the way that it probably made a lot of people enjoy the f character and then hate the character, but then enjoy the character again, the main character, Charlie Sheen's character. Um, really makes him, it, it, it shows you the things that are like, yeah, if I was that guy, I would want to live the life. And then it shows you what the re life really brings and the destruction it does to the people around you if you were to do that. Um, Short version is a a, a, a a son of a blue collar uh, union worker and uh, an airline, I guess. He's like a maintenance worker. Uh, ends up going to college and 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 taking taking the bait on going to work in finance and ends up on Wall Street working with the very handsome John C. McGinley, I might add. And um, they're working side by side. He's been there for a year and or two maybe, and then he gets a client that changes his whole life. Basically, it's like uh, imagine. I mean, it's. Uh, who is it? It's um, God, a famous actor. Uh, shit. Ha, Mar no, not Martin Sheen, who's also in the film, his father. 
uh, plays as Oh, um, the the uh, Gordon yeah, Gecko. Yeah, I always forget. Gordon yeah, Gecko. He's I the guy from Falling. He's the guy from Falling Down. Um, God, why is that? Anyway, God, I'm, I'm just killing myself. Let me see. The uh, someone, yeah, no, someone was... in the audience, yeah, is 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 very mad at us. Right yelling now. at us right now. I cause literally watched to... it twice, so I don't know how. I forgot this. Um, thank you, Kathy, for looking it up as I continue. Um, yeah, no, I started looking it up, and then I like I literally said it is uh, Michael. It's uh, Michael, Michael Douglas, Douglas and mm-hmm. Charlie Sheen. Is Michael in it. Douglas. Yeah. Um, Lovely. Uh. I, I literally typed the words Wall Street into my search engine, thinking that it would know that I was referring to the, <laughs> the movie, movie, as opposed to the, you know, street or whatever. Yeah, they're like, here's the founder of Oracle. Uh, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Not what I was looking for. You know? <laughs> um, but yeah, I really found that movie really interesting. Takes you on quite a ride. Um you know to spoil the ending is to say that you didn't watch jfk i mean you're going to know how the story ends if you've seen like an oliver stone film you're going to see that oh he's going to see the evil of his own doing and then turn around and stuff but and he does it's really uh i really like the ending even though it is completely convoluted um and and tricky but uh you know i would definitely say go and watch that if you've liked an oliver stone film and you haven't seen it mostly just for uh, if you don't if not just for the amazing interior decoration when he gets an incredible apartment uh still looks incredible still think it's a very cool abstract weird design that anyone could do today for actually not very much money just like cool fake broken walls um so uh (laughs) i want to take this moment to just acknowledge uh the film another film by oliver stone Mm -hmm. that is also relevant to our storylines which are which is a natural born killers yes i I have that on um, my next to my list actually yeah um i haven't seen it recently right but like um it's on netflix currently for everyone oh oh is that right Mm -hmm. um i believe so but the reason i bring it up right is because i mean i remember watching it i remember it pretty decently well and i remember that uh robert downey jr's character plays like a john walsh america's most wanted Mm. reality talk show host kind of a guy who um uh woody harrelson's character and juliette lewis's character are the bonnie and clyde couple uh protagonists of the movie the anti-heroes of the movie um and robert downey jr's news character guy becomes like obsessed with wanting to interview them and following them oh i love this this becomes a big part of the storyline of like He's trying to get to like the real story of Mickey and Mallory, uh, like this this rampaging couple that have taken America's headlines by storm. The you know the new Bonnie and Clyde type I of love thing, this. and so it's like this 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 perversion of like you know uh, celebrity culture and starting to I to like kind of fuck around with the analysis of that. Um, that's all I remember. I don't remember like. Uh, I, I don't remember what kind of moralizing actually occurs. I mean, it's an Oliver Stone film, so I could probably like kind of fill in the blanks myself, but I haven't seen it in some time. So I like that it's on your list. I'm going to kind of shove it back to the top of my list again, because it's been some time. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. So that uh, we can have in depth on that one. Awesome. But, you know. I think, uh, you know, I think I think Woody Harrelson is pretty foxy, so I also I just do too. like watching I think his films. He's a so. wonderful man in all respects. Um, let's see. 
I want to tell you about Boston Robert and Boston Rob and his weird deal uh, a little bit, but I don't know. I also want to tell you about Pappy and Sweet Pea and all these folks from season four of Survivor. But before we get to that, because it'll be a bunch of clips and stuff, I do want to talk about some other things that you mentioned in the past episode that I have watched. Um, I went and watched the uh, Slenderman, the, the Slenderman documentary on HBO, which was, I believe, called what, The Slenderman Killings or mm-hmm. Slenderman Killing, something like that. Really enjoyed that. Um, it reminded me a lot of uh, when I saw the word something awful come up on a screen once again, just like the Q documentary. My heart did something. And then um, I don't know what it was. It was a strange feeling. And then um, I remember I was thinking back, uh, you know, for we discussed it previously, but the Slender Man killings was uh, uh, some, some uh, uh, two girls were convinced to kill another girl because of um, online lore, essentially, that started from a something awful thread, a copy-pasting thing. So even these kids, they weren't even aware of, like, where it came from times three. They were, like, super disconnected from the source of it. But, yeah, um, as I was thinking about that, though, and about my distance from that, I was thinking about, oh, I see that, too. The other thing I was thinking about was uh, uh, Punkin Chunkin. Do you, do you remember the most infamous kind of, This is something that most people will not talk about in TFR. Mm. It happened in TFR. So... Uh, you can type it in if you want, because I think it might actually come up in the actual news. But this was mm-hmm. the first confirmed source of... This was the first confirmed story of someone on Something Awful killing someone, shooting them, specifically. Mm-hmm. Killing multiple people. In fact, I think two people. Um, he originally came to the forums because there was a sub-forum, or is. Probably not. can't be one still today, but I imagine. Maybe. There's a subform on the Something Awful forms called TFR, the firing range. And that was pretty much where all like your libertarians went to talk about like whatever in general. And now I think they're probably relegated to like a D&D if that still exists. Anyway, doesn't matter. Um, a guy came on there, I think, mm, let's say middle 2000s. And um, he wanted to ask about where to get double aught buckshot. Specifically, he wrote like zero zero in quotes or something like that, which was like really weird and indicated that he didn't really know anything about firearms. And everyone took that very seriously because a man just showing up randomly, first of all, he looks like a fed or someone trying to like get the forums in trouble or like lay some trap. But that's not what he was. He was a guy who knew nothing about firearms coming to TFR for advice about how to buy ammo to best kill people with. Now, what he was describing was he wanted to shoot pumpkins, right? Uh, he wanted to blow them up because, like, uh, I don't know, someone came and destroyed his pumpkins or something like that. So everyone called this incident pumpkin chunkin because of the, this guy's, like, attachment to that phrase specifically. Anyway, he ends up going to the forums and getting all this information, pulling off this horrible crime, and it, it does get led back to the forums. And Kathy just sent me a link. I'm not, I haven't clicked on it yet. But I, I hope that it is all tied in because there are so many times when things that happen in today's world that are looked at very, very, very closely happened on the Something Awful forums back in the 2000s and and, and in the early 2010s, really, I suppose, that were actual stories, that were actual crimes where people were killed. Multiple people were murdered from the Something Awful forums directly, not just this guy. There was at least two or three other incidents. Um, But Punkin' Chunkin' was the first one that everyone can remember, and that's always the one that people refer back to. and I don't know how the forums evaded some kind of, like, ATF raid or something like that. I know they did get a visit from the government uh, several times, many times. In fact, when low tax was still around every once in a while, him or 
someone would write about it. Um, but uh, back when th that wasn't considered like a scary thing to be like, hey, the feds are coming to my door. He was like, it's interesting. The feds are coming to my door. What the fuck are you guys doing? Instead of like being afraid, he was interested, which is something that man would do. Um, yeah. Uh, but Kathy, I see. The only reason I bring that up is because the internet is a very interesting place, and it, it highlights the thing that Kathy says frequently, which is that the internet is not a fictional world. The internet is the real world. And so when you're driving around the internet in your little internet car and you're visiting all these sites, it's like you're driving up next to the person coming out at like the Whataburger, and you're sitting out in the front parking lot, and you're having a chat with them. Much like you would in the real life, except you're not considering it like doing that. And I don't know why we don't consider that yet, as it's as if we're driving to the same place and having a chat. Mm. You wouldn't want to have a chat necessarily with a murderer looking for shotgun shells to best kill people. But you know what? As it turns out, on the internet in that place, that was at those years, nobody was like afraid to, sh nobody wanted to shut down. <laughs> Everyone should have been like, this website probably a problem maybe we should do something about it maybe we should get rid of it or do any of the 99 things that we should have done back then to stop what did happen in the future well here's the other reality the time, right yeah. it's like there i don't i don't know that there's necessarily always quote unquote red flags when someone's going to turn into like a psychopathic murderer right like mm -hmm. it's also what unfortunately what reality crime tells us right mm -hmm. there's also a reason that people are always saying i had no idea he right. seemed like such a nice guy like right. so there's part of it is because those those folks who are like psychopathic sociopathic murderers or whatever like they're good at hiding it right, right. and and it's also you know the other as we've spoken about also right like uh this this like attraction to true crime right it's because it's nice to believe that the person who's going to attack me is a stranger who's climbing in through my window when the reality is that that's not the case at all right it's likely to be a friend or a neighbor or like a family member who's more likely to actually do me harm right so it's this weird kind of balance that we kind of are i say balance it's not really that right it's like this weird like confused reality that we walk through where we neither believe that it's the people closest to us even when we know better and like um like just just this kind of like general fear of where it comes from i, I think is also part of all of this like uh i want to believe that like slender man is the one who's going to get me not my 12 year old friend who just had like a psychotic break right right like um it's also like the story behind twin peaks actually what do we want to believe that laura's palm that laura palmer's father was the one who raped and killed her or right. do we want to believe that it was like an evil some ancient evil in the forest right like right. which one actually makes us sleep better at night right and then why and <laughs> and then why right yeah exactly and so but if they're everywhere, then they're going to be our neighbors, they're going to be at our schools, they're going to be at our YMCA, they're going to be in our something awful forums, they're going to be on Twitter, they're going to be on Facebook, they're going to be on Tinder, right? Because they're everywhere. Uh, and like the, these dangers are everywhere. Um, I just don't think that they're... Um, uh, I just, I still think we're somehow misguided in our dangers, right? Like, um, but even that's shifting, right? Like, um, 
I don't know that you could get me to large crowded events anymore. I agree. I was just thinking about um, that. And not yeah. just and not just because I'm like old and don't want to pay twelve dollars for a bottle of water. I agree. The same reason. I mean that that doesn't help, right? But um, I know I feel the same thing exactly. And I, and and I wish that I could say something different. Honestly, I really do. I really do. And there is a time. You know, in the last several months where I was questioning myself on this basis, on the same basis and everything, and, and I feel like I've just decided that I'm fine with everything the way that it is in terms of my relation to what's happening in the world because no one can judge me for it except for myself, and I'm actually doing fine, and um, fuck you if you don't agree. So that's what I say. However, Kathy, yeah, there are things in the world that when we're upset we look at to make us... Um, feel different in an altered state of mind. It's not always drugs, although it can frequently be delicious drugs. Um, Since you and I spoke last week, I have gotten through five and a half seasons of Kitchen Nightmares. Awesome. I love that. I want you, to Kathy, to know that I've watched a baseball game almost every day since we've talked. Uh, <gasps> and it was great, except for the 4th of July, because well, I guess we watched like, uh, movies or something. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, everything's been going great otherwise in, in the life of, of me, and that has led to a lot of enjoyable watching of all kinds of other things, uh, movies and stuff. I wish I actually had like a full, I'm going to start keeping, this is a promise to the audience, I'm going to start keeping a full list of everything I watch, and if I actually start remembering some of these things, it's going to blow you away. I, I don't even know how I have enough time to do these things. <laughs> um, I have watched some stuff. We almost watched the entirety of season four of Survivor in the last week, and uh, it's been a very eye-opening season. Um, there's definitely a lot of, it's the first time there's been, I don't know how to, it's the first time that, uh, it's the first time that alliances have been, like you said, last time I described the alliance system, where you said, you're surprising that people stick to the system. Yeah, this, this, this season is when that, really falls apart because people really did seem very convinced that alliances were going to take them to the end and even as far as i am i'm only like two episodes no I'm literally like one episode away from the end the alliance system has bro broken apart like three or four times like they've they've redrawn lines you know the the people at the beginning said it's you and me we're going to the end two groups of people said that and neither of those people are aligned anymore and that's how season three winner one was carrying that alliance to the end so uh, it's been a really big uh, game changer. Also, one tribe in the beginning failed so many times that they were whittled down to three to seven members. So, like, it was completely weird watching one tribe with seven people, and they're like, ha-ha, we're having a great time. And three people, by the time before they merged, they were just, like, completely um, ready to merge because they were ready to, like, actually talk to new people. Um, really found that interesting. But uh, really the most interesting thing that's happened all season is episode 10, um, when there's a reward challenge where people have to bust open some coconuts and fill, uh, basically there's a lime floating in a tube, a plastic tube, right? Surrounded by okay. bamboo. And they have to fill this whole tube up with coconut juice. And the lime has to get to the top and fall out. And then you win the game. And everyone's uh, trying to get these coconuts. There's extra bonus coconuts floating out in the water. If you have someone to go out and swim and pull up an anchor and pull them in. And so everyone's busting up the coconuts. Otherwise you're getting them off the beach. And uh, then Sean and uh, the judge, well, I believe, well, here, we'll play this. Sean uh, and Pascal are, I'll describe the scenario. Uh, 
Pascal is a judge. He looks like he's been a judge for a very long time. And he seems like um, the kind of man who takes his uh, judging very seriously. He's definitely not a conservative judge, I can tell you that, based on his uh, approaches to other people and how he interacts with others. Um, but he is a very interesting man in that he takes his judgeship into like his life, it seems. And that has made him a lot of friends on the island. And because um, he seems to talk in a way that is very, I don't know, he negotiates with everyone about everything. But he has become very close friends with Sean recently, and they won this competition together. And now they're going to go and have a life-changing experience where the Marcasians are going to roast a pig for them, and they're going to ride down a mountain on a horse together. And uh, it's lovely. The judge says, hey, we did it. The old man and the brother. And then Sean says, yeah, the old man and the brother. <laughs> they literally kiss each other on the mouth. They're so happy about winning it. I'm ready. I'm ready for my mission. I want a full description of it as soon as you get back. Look at those clouds, you guys. It's pretty cool. Look at the pink on the clouds. I haven't smelled anything. I never thought I'd be sitting here on D26. That look okay? You look beautiful. Oh, my God. Remember, you have to have lots of alcohol and lots of pig. That's right. I'm going to be slow because I'm a stomach. Yeah, go real slow. And they get really silly. And they really have so much fun. I'm so happy for you two. I should also say, at this point in the season, everyone is kissing everyone on the mouth, which is just unique to this is season so far. Is it starting to become like Slut Island on Survivor? Like, really, is that what has happened? It's very, it's very like, like real, real like kind of. I don't know. Between everyone, I don't know. They've evolved their culture on this island. I love it. But yes, there are people sleeping together as well. One helicopter ride, and awaiting them will be a Marcasian feast. And I'm happy for him. Sean deserved it. After all of the mess that some of these people in the Road to Tribe put him through, he was down, but he was never out. Oh my God, I feel like they're going away. They're now taking off in a helicopter. <laughs> so, they're taking their little helicopter trip. And, uh, <laughs> I love this. They're holding hands on this helicopter trip. They're having, like, the best time. Crazy. Look what we have coming here. Two horses are standing like, okay. All of a sudden, these Marcasian men come down the hill hey. with these horses. My name is Akadini. Pascal. Okay. Akadini? Akadini. Akadini. Sean. I got to get the wild one. The horse. It's okay. Yes, horse. I've never ridden at all. The only horses I've been on are the merry-go-rounds in Central Park. Wow. 
Where does my other foot go? Okay. And it was a bit scary, because these are huge. You know, horses are big animals. I hope these horses are all right. They decide they want to throw you off. You're on the ground with broken bones. Nice horsey. How you doing? And the last thing you want to see is two horses, all the horses like fighting each other and just It's it's important to describe that they're on the side of a precarious cliff. They're not just like in a road somewhere. <laughs> It's a very precarious situation they're in, and no one seems to be alarmed except for Sean. You gotta remember, we're not on flat land. We're on like a mountain cliff. So if you fall off, you're falling off damn near a mountain with a horse on you. See? This the kind of stuff that scares me. It was a long ride for somebody that's not used to horses. But Sean began to loosen up and began singing after they made some different arrangements. Uh, chilling on the horse with Marquesian men. Everybody know that we want to do it again. I said, oh, I hear the drums. We're getting close. What? What? Yeah. What? Gilligan's Island. Sean is right. going, he is so happy. He is so stoked. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. My name is Layla. Layla? Hi, I'm Sean. Very pretty. A little too young for me, though. We get to the beach. <laughs> These two beautiful, although young, uh, Marquesian women he lead us to this. These two beach chairs with these huge pillows with these two huge coconut drinks. Yo, here's to you, Pat. You too, baby. Okay. Oh. They're already wasted. I wish I had like two see. sips well, and they're already wasted. Who know that a little black boy from Harlem would be here with the southern white judge, white judge from Georgia? Big defeat in that. The irony in that. Two days ago, I would have mortgaged my house on the fact that Sean was going to be voted off, but things have dramatically changed. Sean, while he may have some problems, he's honest. He's straightforward. That's all I can ask. Sometimes relationships start out rocky and. To look and see where we ended up, man. The sky's the limit for all of us. We became much closer than we were, and I feel very close to him. I feel very fortunate to know him. And that's what's good about this game. You never know what's going to happen. I'm ready to eat, man. Are you? Just can't get any better than this. Follow me. Follow me? Or follow you? Follow. Follow? All right. It's time to feast. After we finished our drinks, they took us to the Marquesian oven. It's a ceremony where they bury food for a certain amount of days, and that's how they cook their food underground with the heat and the uh, volcanic rocks. And it was a roasted pig under there with plantains and potatoes and roasted goat. Oh man, look at the wall, look at the meat, Pat. Can you believe this? Marquesian people, when they were going through their tribal ritual, I don't know how to put it in words. For me to, to be here on this island in the South Pacific with all the history it has, you just have to sit down and comprehend and savor the moment because this is not gonna happen again probably in my lifetime. I'm going to take you away. I'm going to take you away. Go! 
America. Yeah. The Cuba. Okay. My God. And then, then okay. America. Cuba. Yeah. Cuba, America. Boto. Boto. And then Boto over here. Okay, and they're definitely breaking the rule by eating about five pounds of meat <laughs> instead of eating slowly. Father, we thank you for this food for which we're about to receive. And Lord, we thank you for the Marcasian people and their beautiful, rich culture. I thank you for bringing Pappy into my life. And I pray Pappy is the judge, by the way. Everyone calls Lord. him Pappy. Through your son, Jesus Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Amen. So now they're chowing down. And that's, uh, that's pretty much it. I mean... They basically go on to go back to the island and everyone's blown away. And uh, in fact, they actually steal from the, like the buffet of food, kind of like against the rules, but no one punishes them. And they bring back, they fill their pockets full of food and bring it back to the camp so that everyone can enjoy the food. Um, and it's the first time I've ever seen them break the rules like that where Jeff, nobody cared. And they're just, they even showed it on camera. They're all like chowing down on all these precious items that they're definitely not even supposed to have. So I really like that. Um, it's definitely one of the most interesting moments of the show because I feel like nothing, it felt like it was like a different moment. It felt like it was from a future episode or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, that was that. Was well, that. I do find that fascinating when they, when whenever like any show kind of breaks from what's expected. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, like, um, so I feel like this, uh, you know, again, I've been watching as I mentioned, like five seasons of Kitchen Nightmares, which like most shows is very formulaic. Um, it's got like, a, you know, just just a routine, right? Yeah. Um, but of course, like every season, every episode, every teaser, it's always like, is this the one that finally breaks Gordon? And it's not. <laughs> yeah. It's not, but yeah. they always have to tease it that way, right? And like, of course, until it is, right? But even then, you're just like, nah, like, what are you doing there, dude? Get the fuck out. Like, what are you doing? And, uh, but, um, uh, tell me some good, uh, Gordon Ramsay disasters. Where are the most, what are the grossest yeah. things you've seen? Where are some gross stuff? Um, so, like, so, like, I mean, what's funny is that, like, when you said that, obviously, you know, everyone's gonna go to, like, the walk-in freezer and, like, you know, meat that's, like, you know, rancid and old and stuff, right? Yes. But that's, that, to me, that's actually not the grossest part. Mm -hmm. Like, the grossest part is when you Labor see, practices. like, one, yeah, and then, um, like, there was one episode where, um, like, a dad and a mom are, like, yeah, we opened this restaurant like two years ago. And at the time, like our son was 16 and we were holding a bunch of his uncle's inheritance and trust. And we went ahead and used it to go ahead and open this restaurant. And now if we fail tomorrow, we're all going to be broke, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Good financial planning on the whole family's part. Yeah, definitely. Right. You know, um, but yeah, there was this one episode where like basically that happened where um, Gordon Ramsay comes up to like the, the owner slash patriarch of the family and is like, oh, so, you know, give me the story about how you got this restaurant. Like, when did you buy it? What did you do? Who are the other owners? And he's like, oh, well, I'm an owner and my son is an owner. And he's like, oh, so your son invested. And he's like, yeah, my son invested. And then, like, of course, like, 10 minutes later, cut to Gordon talking to the son, and the son is like, 
no, like my dad took my money, like, and he's put it in here. Like, I don't, you know, and as a result, like I now resent my father and my mom is on his side and my new wife is wondering why we can't buy a house. And like, so, and then it like, you know, then it kind of just starts going from there where it's like, oh, you like just fucked over your entire family to make this thing happen. And now you're like on the verge of bankrupting everyone great you know like and to me like that's the gross part right like it's one thing if it's like yeah i have a bunch of money and i'm just a dipshit it's like yeah i guess that's your right you know like um like the really famous episode right of like um amy's baking company or amy's baking shop or whatever the fuck it was called right like she and her husband were essentially independently wealthy they just had like all kinds of fucking money and She was just like spending her husband's money and you know maybe he was a dipshit maybe she was taking advantage of him maybe they were both in on it together and maybe they were both goobers you know but uh the only people who were suffering were them in that episode like they didn't have kids they were like i mean i say only ones who were suffering obviously they're poor employees but like they didn't drag in the rest of their family with them right and so many of these kitchen nightmare stories are this is a family restaurant dad retired we passed it on to the kid and now the kid is just you know getting wasted every day in the kitchen shit you know and that is a common scenario I, I i have seen is like the the kid is getting wasted and everything's like they're pretending to work but you know all the food's expired etc or overloading yeah. which is even worse yeah than his his standards of course and so like i feel like whenever like there was another episode where like uh, like a mom and a son were running the business and the mom was like older and she's like I'm always telling him that like the dish is no good and that he needs to wash the dishes or whatever right like normal restaurant shit and you see the son be like fuck you old bag like what the <laughs> fuck do you have to say about this and it's like wow (laughs) like she doesn't get come you know like every once in a while there's these episodes where you're like yeah like you probably should be talking to them like that you know i'm sorry the way you said that was just very funny to me well but but it's true like like in this case it was like one of those ones where you're like appalled where you're like really like what's your problem dude like that's your mom and it's like like i'm not you know i I don't have the greatest of relationships with my own parents so i'm you're not gonna see me be the person who automatically is like dude but that's your mom right because i don't don't think that like that's universally the case but like in this case like you're looking at you know and she's just like some kindly old lady like she, she doesn't even give off the vibe of like oh i'm the like real dictator around here which again also happens on these episodes um but yeah like it's just uh is this the uk or u.s version you've been i've been watching the u.s one okay um and the u.s one is of course much more sensational and the reason i say that is i mean i'm not saying that it's just because it's american audiences but it's because they're playing like it's because it's american participants who are on these shows and so some of them are like from what i've seen of like the the british version of kitchen nightmares like they don't they don't quite even like the worst of the egocentric chef people restaurant owners on kitchen nightmares uk 
they don't seem to hold a candle to the narcissistic U.S. versions of the same person. Yeah, and I, I don't actually now that I'm thinking about it in that context, I don't know why it's like that because the U.K. people. I mean, I don't know what separates anyone from being like annoying as hell. I don't think there's anything that stops a U.K. person from being more or less annoying. But yeah, huh? I mean, I also don't. I mean, I can't. I mean, every culture seems to love their trash tabloids as much as anyone else yeah. does, right? So, a sensational kitchen nightmares UK doesn't seem outside of the realm of possibility. It's just, you know, who knows? Maybe it's like it is just kindly innkeepers who really don't know what the fuck they're doing. I want to hear. I want to hear Gordon say the word "baps." Then we'll know we're on the British version. <laughs> I, I what I really like is uh, uh, the uh, the way that he will also talk to like the different people in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like he seems to like really totally trust like bussers and waiters. Yes, exactly. Like, instinctually, he likes he always likes the head of head of staff or like the head bus or yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. I love that. And he'll always be like, so the owner just said this. What do you think? Mm-hmm. You know, and always the first person he goes to double check that, like, that's, bullshit meter. That's how you get the dirt. Yeah. 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 So I, I don't know. Like, may, maybe there is a very different restaurant. I mean, maybe, and that's also it, too. Like, maybe it's also a very different restaurant culture. Um because this is also the thing about Americans, right? Where Americans feel entitled to proper service. Like, I don't mean formal service, right? I don't mean like sterling silver tea sets, right? Like there are yeah. some Americans who do the like, I'm going to put four quarters on the table and every time you fuck up, I'm going to take one away. Like somehow I can't imagine like a British guy saying that. Like yeah. at all. Uh, like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, is it... <laughs> So you're saying Mr. Pink couldn't have been British. You're saying Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. No way. Yeah. No, that dude's a very American guy. Like he, he grew up in like Wisconsin or something. He yeah. just I mean, I'm you know, I'm just 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 watch that this week too. Uh and watched um I think we'll watch Jackie Brown next and we watched uh, Pulp Fiction. It is uh I'm uh, we're having a, a fun film festival around here cuz we actually started off talking about how Quentin Tarantino was a little bit backwards, and then we started watching the film, and we just came away with a slightly different take, which wasn't incorrect, but it was slightly different. And now we're going to watch more, and we're going to we're going to think about it some more. Um, By the way, have you seen Tarantino's, I'll say, quote unquote, first film, which is his first like script film, which was True Romance, done by uh, it was Tony Scott, I think it was the director of that one. Interesting. The other Scott brother. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and if you want like a, a fucking whirlwind of a cast, um, so uh, Quentin Tarantino script, Tony Scott directed. Um, it has Dennis Hopper, Christopher Walken. It has wow. uh, Gary Oldman, Val Kilmer, and those are not even the main characters because the main characters are Patricia Arquette and Christian Slater. Wow, I fucking love Christian Slater, and especially since uh, Mr. Robot. It like reinvigorated my love for modern Christian Slater, so I can like in- see what he's up to now. There's that seven K. Um, well, I fell in <laughs> love with Christian Slater because of Pump Up the Volume. Oh, okay. I, I haven't. Um, the last what was I? I saw Christian Slater in something recently that was actually really good. He played like a dad or something like that. It wasn't like a star. He was just like a someone else in the film. <laughs> but it was a, a guy. it was a good side role. Yeah. Um, uh, I also watched Blade Runner, which uh, 
was uh, a good rewatch also. Uh, man, we got a lot of like classic films in this week. Um, Blade Runner was, was excellent. I mean, I'd seen it like literally 10 times this year, but uh, I think this was the 10th time, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I watched it with fresh eyes in the room, and man, that was uh, amazing to watch someone watch Blade Runner for the first time. I got to see, there was three or four t- things that were poked out that I was like, oh, shit, I've never noticed that. Um, it, was, it was lovely. Uh, and take that as advice just for everyone. Take your favorite thing or maybe one of your B or C tier things you haven't seen in a long time and watch it with a friend for the first time. You'll definitely get something more out of it for sure. Um, my my BB and I, uh, they had never seen Blade Runner either. but And so we started watching it. But um, unfortunately, the urge to make out was oh. greater than the urge to watch the movie. So uh, I don't yeah. think we even finished. The, okay. I don't remember finishing the movie. Yeah, that happened during Survivor Season 4, Episode 6, I think. <laughs> uh, which I was like really interested in what was going on, but we just got distracted. And that happens all the time. <laughs> Um, that's probably the reason why I don't have a full report for you on all of Survivor Season 4, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, redacted. redacted. Scene missing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let me tell you a little bit about this. I was pulling up the post. I was just pulling up the papers here. This is my stack of papers that has all mm-hmm. the things I'm interested in. And I, right on the top here, I have the post from Tuesday, July 5th, 2022. And I see two things here about TV calendars that are reality. I'm going to bring them up to you. And these are shows okay. I've never heard of. And you tell me what you think because I haven't even really thought about it myself yet. This show is called Five Guys a Week. Okay, Each episode of this reality dating series show focuses on a new woman as she dates five different men over the course of a week, while they all live in her home, of course. Premiere date July 13th and Lifetime, 10 p.m. I feel like just the five dates in a week is enough. I feel like why they need to be in her home. I don't know. I don't. Yep. Okay, here's what I would do. Yep. I would go on a series of dates until I found five that I do want to live in my home. Then I bring them in, and they become the rest of the season. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. That would be like when you merge the tribes or that, you know, when you, the next phase of the, yes, that would Mm -hmm. make sense. Yeah. Yeah, I would have totally reworked that. That does, that seems backwards to me. Yeah. Um, because if I've been living with him for four days already and then I go on a date with him, like, I might hate him by then. Yeah, and, like, I assume they're going on, like, one date a day, right? So, like, so, yeah, how are you going to know? Well, we'll find out. I'll watch, like, one episode of it to find out the concept. July 13th at 10 p.m. on Lifetime. Um, mm-hmm. Victoria's Secret, Angels and Demons. This docuseries chronicles the rise and fall of the famous lingerie empire while also examining the relationship between former CEO Leslie Wexner and Jeffrey Epstein. Yes, finally, they made a documentary about Leslie Wexner so I can finally, like, we can talk about it because, I don't know, there hasn't been anything to, like, chew on to talk about it. But also, so I can show anyone else in the world who Leslie Wexner is because it feels like it's impossible unless you have a documentary to show someone, something to someone. Yeah. Yes. Big thing there. Wow. Everyone, let's let's wow. check out that. That is July 14th exclusively on Hulu. Wow. Okay. I'm looking forward to that one. Mm-hmm. That's going to be wild. Mm-hmm. So that's your uh, reality TV calendar. Um, okay. I'm going to be right back. Hold on. Absolutely. I'll keep flipping through these papers.
Hello, audience. I'm just flipping through papers. Trying to find something that fits in, because I know that there's stuff that fits in. How's it going out there? Kath will be back in a minute. Okay, I've returned. Okay, perfect. Oh, I found a Royals report. That's for the other program. Um, oh my God. Okay, speaking of the news. Mm -hmm. So uh, today. Mm -hmm. Today. Um, I. Uh, I went to work this morning, uh -huh. and uh, someone was like, "Did you see the paper?" And I was like, no, what fresh hell is there today? Right. Um, because I have been trying, uh, kind of, with some effort, to focus on my immediate tasks at work as opposed to, like, the general hell we are surrounded by. Yes. And um, I think I mentioned to you, you know, here I am in Santa Fe, the kind of reality we are currently facing, mm -hmm. uh, that during uh, during the pandemic, during the first year, 2020, median home prices cracked 500,000. Yeah, I did. And then also median rent cracked 2,000 or something like that. I saw that too. I actually had an article and here that to, that addressed tenant issues here, but I didn't know if you had something maybe better if you wanted to talk about it. Oh, Since my I'm goodness. Ready, I kind of no, want to. No, yeah. Good. Then we won't talk. So, uh, no, no. I mean, it's kind of related, but we'll get to okay. this. And so uh, it went from 500,000 median to 600,000 median. And you know what I woke up to this morning? Hmm. 789,000 median. I went in and started comparing Santa Fe's median home price to other houses around the country. And we are now as expensive as Oakland, California. And we went in a period of two and a half years from like absolute affordability where I thought I would maybe be able to buy a home to now being back in the exact same situation I've been like my entire life like <laughs> yeah yeah i can't know. afford shit i remember in 2014 2015 but, uh, 2016 thinking to myself can you hear me real can you yeah yeah, okay. yeah yeah i remember in 2014 2015 2016 thinking at the time wow there was a condo across the street from where i was it was just outside my price range and i remember thinking to myself at that time that if i can't afford a condo here then no one can and what does that mean for the entire community below you know my my uh, station in that town and, and that meant that everything was fucked because it also meant that at that time it had to be people buying a property just to rent on its own so but yeah there we are i mean you know that more well 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 more than i do so so it's just uh you know when when i think about like our reality right like our actual reality the day in day out of what we um experience it's really funny to me that i decided to kind of do escapism with something like kitchen nightmares because it's essentially if i can say this i haven't I, like i'm not really escaping anything like if, if anything it's like it's like this really kind of perverse confrontation of failure right i say failure but it's like uh 
it's it's this really nice fantasy to believe right that i actually do have power to turn my restaurant around yes an environment you can control Mm -hmm. is that always possible like I, i can't believe that every restaurant fails simply because their owner didn't want it enough i can tell you this as a person who you know, grew up inside of a small business, the only reason a small business ever fails, this country is set up to backstop every backstail back. This country is set up to backstop every failing small business. There is a loan or a program for any kind of business under any kind of pressure. As long as you were managing it correctly and you weren't stealing from it and everything was running like it was supposed to, if you fucked up a small business with a business plan, and you got, especially if you got a loan from a bank or something like that, that's your fault. You really, really, really fucked up because there's a 0% chance they're going to give you the money unless you've had a very successful plan. That's just my experience in the world. Now, I also know that I've watched a lot of other f- small businesses, family-owned businesses fall apart due to a critical death in the family. And that's usually the only reason why, uh, why, a, family, why a family business falls apart. And I would also say that... Um, Every bit of competition, <laughs> this is really kind of weird and sad, but in this town, if there are other small businesses in your industry that started in, let's say, 60s, 70s, 80s, all you have to do to retain market share from that time was to literally remain alive and operate the business. And eventually everything collapsed because anytime a small business would disappear, a bigger business comes in from across the state or a different region, buys the customer list, and then they become Ben Franklin Plumbing or, you know, whatever the hell company, electric company that's going to take them over. And then they get a face. So, yeah. Hmm. Um, But then what that means is that you're remaining, much like uh, any other industry, your remaining businesses then skyrocket in value. So you want to sit on that as long as you can and hold out till the day when someone's, like, literally sending you a check for, you know, ten times as much as you're going to make in five years. So... It sucks because what that means is ultimately every single business in this town is going to be crushed out of existence and every property is going to be just rented vacation property within 10 or 15 years. And I don't know what the hell that's going to look like, but I don't know if I want to live here when that's the case. But I don't know. Maybe it'll be great. Who knows? I have a strong feeling that this town will turn into Los Angeles in about 20 or 30 years, like a proto version, maybe what it looked like in the 60s or 70s. I mean, I, I guess I guess there's this vision that this like bubble is about to burst and this recession is about to happen, and you know, f- I, I, I fine, I guess, or whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. it, it's like it feels like we're being either threatened with one, you know, recession on the one, inflation on the other, like none of this like really matters though, right? It's because like we know like. Yeah, they can like raise gas prices, but they're also like making record profits. So what, what the fuck does any of that mean? Yeah. Right? So yeah. So I don't know. It just it it feels weird. Like I don't know. It feels weird to walk around and think about like, oh, there's gonna be like a new restaurant opening or like a new like clothing store is opening. Like. Right. I don't know. It feels like really hard to get excited about that or about any of those kind of things when it's like, but we're all falling apart, right? (laughs) Yes, uh, we are. And I would say that everyone, everyone's falling apart. No one is escaping this. Uh, Everyone's going uh, crab mode um, from the top to the bottom. And uh, I think that the fact that the people at the top are finally in crab mode too is demonstrative. That's not a word. It's demonstrative of 
the scenario. I think that if uh, Jeff Bezos has been saying a lot of shit in the press lately just about like how people live below him and like how this is wrong and this is right and I don't know. He's making all this like weird commentary like around like in Twitter or whatever. And uh, it makes me think that those billionaire bunkers in New Zealand aren't going to be enough for whatever they've seen in their computer that shows that it's coming up. That's all I know. Mm -hmm. And it's not about the weather. Uh, well, I mean, did you also thinking. see that? Did you also see that picture of Jeff Bezos riding Space Mountain all by himself? No, but I love that idea. Oh, it was really good. It's not even, um, I mean, I, I, in Cal the California I, one? I, I'm not sure, actually. And I don't think it matters. Doesn't matter. Right? Because, um, <laughs> well, I mean, one, it felt like. It felt like here's a here's a billionaire who has been threatening about going to space, and instead, he's riding Disneyland mm -hmm. space fucking mountain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He is all by yep. himself. Okay, let me find it. Let I can't even. It. I can't even look at the, the 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 web, the lines between like fiction and reality and what he's perceiving versus what's being created for him versus being on the space mountain ride. My hands have moved in all axes. As I'm describing. Okay, this. just just click on the picture and Clicking tell me what picture. are your yeah uh, your uh, immediate thoughts on what would you do if you had his money and you could buy Disney World all to yourself. Okay, let's click on this here. Let's see. Please pull this up for me. iPad. Let's see. Ah, there I can we go. DM it this, to you the this photo of Jeff Bezos right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'll retweet that for everyone. Um, yeah, it, it, it's really, I'm gonna, wait, oh, well, there we go. Now I can save it. That'll be the cover photo. So you don't even have to look it up. There we go. So yes, Jeff Bezos riding Space Mountain alone really shows everything. And let me say this, if you thought they were, oh, let me come back so you can see me again out there if you thought that jeff bezos riding space mountain alone kathy was reading my mind if you thought that was depressing then what do you think about this a plan for a modern blimp race isn't easy to get off the ground entrepreneur's lofty dream is decades in the making dad that's crazy this is from uh yesterday's wall street journal by Mary Pelone. Around the world in 80 days. You better bet they mentioned Phineas Fogg in like the third paragraph. Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos can have their space race. Houston-based entrepreneur Don Hartstall has a different vision for slipping the surly bonds of Earth. His involves blimps. Mr. Hartzell, the founder of the World Air League, has fashioned himself as a modern-day Phileas Fogg with his plans for a wide uh, worldwide race in the clouds starting in September 2024. Just don't call them blimps. Airship is the preferred term among purists. <laughs> Blimp purists. Um, sorry. We're going to have a bunch of steampunk dipshits going back to hydrogen blimps and hopefully causing a brand new. Oh, it's literally. It's literally.com. Oh, the humanity meme. Right. Yep. This is what's going to happen. 100%. If all goes, this is literally what I was envisioning when I was reading it. If all goes according to Mr. Hartzell's plan, the world sky race will be the, quote, largest man-made event ever seen by live spectators in the entire history of the human race. 
So speaking of something <coughs> awful. Yes. <laughs> there was this other headline I saw earlier this week that was something about how like millionaires are going to take over Mars and <laughs> it'll be colonized and this like space utopia will be created. And I, all I could think of was every project on something awful like uh, Texarakis or the Grover House. Yeah. I, th I think Texarakis was different than the fucking guy who did the zip line. I think those were different. I don't think those were the same project. I don't remember now because I... Well, it all comes together as yeah. some just random dipshit and, meme, And right? there's 10 million failed goon projects, so it's mm -hmm. hard to keep track of them all, yeah. You know, like, if... We, you know, as, as as people who are on the internet, we can make fun of like Grover House, and that's like really funny. And, and it's, like, but it's shorthand, right? Because yeah. uh, Grover was not the only person in the world doing this, as Zillow and the Zillow Nightmares Twitter accounts or whatever show us all the time that there were lots of people who essentially created their own fucking Grover house, except some of them were more competent, some of them were wealthier, some of them could buy, like, actual contractors to live out their whatever fucking dipshit dream. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, that was that main, that was that guy's main problem, right? It was he kept hiring a contractor, the contractor would show up, and he'd be like, yo, dude, this can cost a lot of money because you really fucked this up, and he'd be like, oh, really? Shit. And then he'd like be like, okay, you can come. I'll, I'll call you if I need you. <laughs> yeah. That's what I remember. Um. Well, because, I mean, you know, these I don't think are like, uh, uh, they seem like normal human problems that get out of hand. Yes. Right? I mean, this is also what things like Kitchen Nightmares or Bar Rescue kind of teach us, where it's like one thing that starts to get out of hand, right? Like, uh, uh, one day, one of the fridges stopped working, so we figured out how to make do with one fridge instead of two, or whatever. And then since then, the, like, instead of actually fixing the fucking problem properly, right, they've been broken staring it ever since. And now, <laughs> we, uh, now we defrost the chicken in a bucket behind the office at, you know, 11 when the sun's hot enough. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> That's right. It's like a butterfly effect, right? Like, yeah. I mean, it's a. Uh, like, I feel like I learned a lot from the Grover House thread. One, which was that I didn't want to ever. I mean, I like I. It, it's kind of the shocking thing. I can be like appalled at home prices of seven hundred and eighty nine thousand. But the other thing is, is like even if I could afford a home at two hundred thousand, like I don't. I don't want to fix my own plumbing. Yes. You know, I want to call someone to just do it for me. And, like, even if I call the plumber, they're still asking me questions. And I'm like, I don't know. Just do it. Like, <laughs> like if I knew how to do it, I'd do it myself. But I don't. That's why I called you. Why are you asking me questions? <laughs> I, uh, let me see. When I, when I call a plumber, what do I say? I say... Please show up and fix the thing. I know how to do it, but I, I'm not going to do it myself, and I don't want to get mess up something. Ultimately, I do, I, let's say this. I know how to snake a drain. I know how to do all the things in the house, but when I'm calling a plumber, the reason I want them to do it is because they do it like all day, and that means that they're not going to mess up nearly as much. So 
that's it doesn't matter if you know how to do it. That whole DIY well, thing. Well, and they'll 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 do it in like twenty minutes. Yeah, it'll take and me it'll an take me an hour and a half. Yeah. And like it just. Mm-mm. You know what's gonna happen? Mm-mm. There's uh, we're, it's gonna be like we're gonna find the best plumbing, AC, tech, uh, electrician out there. It's gonna be like Moon. They're gonna clone them, and then we're gonna have like Sam. Just he'll be the last plumber, everywhere, mm-hmm. all over mm-hmm. the country. We'll just keep cloning them. So th- this is also why I buy rotisserie chickens from the deli at the grocery store. Is because like I'm not gonna. I'm not going to buy a raw chicken. I'm not going to clean it and dress it and then bake it in the oven for an hour. I don't, I don't No, I'm not going to do that. It's nice to think that I can or that I will, or, I mean, I I don't think it's like outside of my skill set, but I'm still not going to do it. Yeah. 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 No, uh, my, my motivation for food is simply not uh, a a strong enough engine to drive me to like slice up and debone a chicken or do anything with it. Really. I'm just not going to do it. I know there are other ways to eat. I know that calories are calories ultimately. And I know how nutrition works. Uh, seems like, seemingly better than other people do. And I'm not even learning anything. I'm not even, I don't know. I'm just guessing. It seems like it's working. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I drink a bunch of soda, but it still seems to be working everything else for me. So, um, I, I, I think I eat like, um, I, I think if I were to admit probably the worst garbage that I eat on a regular basis, and again, I, I maybe it's because I've been watching Kitchen Nightmares and being like, what's wrong with that? Um, it's it's like frozen tater tots and French fries. Like, mm-hmm. that's my like absolute guilty pleasure. I, like uh... he would like Gordon Ramsay would probably be like, oh, oh, look at Miss Big Shot, who's too busy to fucking hash her own browns. And I'm like, that's right. <laughs> Motherfucker. <laughs> that motherfucker thinks this. Let me tell you this. I, I may have said this recipe on the show before, but the the Gordon Ramsay expects you to do this to make soup. He expects you to take a head of broccoli. He expects you to boil it. He expects you to blanch it. He expects you to put it into a food processor, spin it up, make it liquid, then put it back in a pot, bring it up to temp, and then serve. And then you're supposed to take nice kosher salt, sprinkle it on top, a little olive oil, and you're supposed to eat it and go, mmm, soup. But we really, all you've done is you've created, you've literally just liquefied broccoli. And I, that's not soup. That's liquefied broccoli. And made broccoli. a lot of dishes. And, and, and may I add, you know what I do is none of those things. I buy that fucking liter box of butternut squash soup, pour it into a mug, toast up some bread, you know, butter it. It's nice. It's good. Mm-hmm. But like, that's it. Yeah. Like, I, I just got home from work. If you think I'm going to like take out a fucking food processor and roast my own butternut squash, like motherfucker, um, just. I wish I had you on the phone right now, so I could pick you up and take you over to the uh, to the fridge, so you could see what's in there. Literally, the only thing I keep in my fridge is like yogurt and uh beverages that's it and uh it's mm-hmm. things to keep the other food that i end up getting somewhere else <laughs> perhaps delivered to me uh moving through my system because i really feel like uh you know what i'm beyond eating i'm beyond caring what goes in my body as long as it's not going to kill me that's that's my main yeah concern. and i find it fascinating of myself that for someone who doesn't like cooking like like i don't like i couldn't be asked with the process you could even give me all the time in the world. I'm still not gonna pick up a recipe book and go like, ooh, I really wanna learn whatever. 
And yet I am obsessed with cooking shows, right? Like the Gordon Ramsay and the Bar Rescue yeah. and the fucking Great British Baking Show and uh, America's Test Kitchen shit, like all of the Bon Appetit videos and shit. Like, I, I like seeing someone be like, here's the proper knife technique. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah okay, I okay. And I'll like play along or whatever. I'll like start chopping an onion along with them and then be like, oh, that was fun. Chopped is I'm good. I'm not for gonna that too. cook a fucking onion. Yeah, like because you get chopped is good because you get to see how ingredients combine together. And I think honestly, if you watch a lot of chopped, you can become a good cook without ever really cooking, as long as you get your knife skills down. Because then you're like, oh, flavors work with this. You can get really creative, and then it makes it really good. Um, makes you really good at like uh, saying like what's left, and turning into a little adventure. I've always I've always had fun with that. Well, I also like how whenever I've seen like Gordon Ramsay be like, oh, so take me through your menu. And people are like, oh, well, I made this like disgusting ass piece of shit. You see, it started out as fried <laughs> and rice and it became something else. I don't know what it is now. but And I'm sitting there like, again, I feel like, like, I feel like you could literally put like a dumpster in front of me and I would be like, ooh. <laughs> You know what he really hates is any, for some reason this is, happens in the UK, which I can't even perceive this happening in the United States. People will use canned vegetables and he, oh. he hates that, especially like canned green beans is like the thing you'll see or frozen, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. but he'll, mm -hmm. he, he hates that. And I don't know how people can ever have ever watched an episode of that show and still have when he shows up like a can of vegetables in their like pantry. Like, I, I just don't know. The other thing that shocks me is that people are like, I invited Gordon Ramsay to my failing restaurant. <laughs> but and he didn't like the failing restaurant food. <laughs> this restaurant sucks. It's my restaurant, by the way. Also, <laughs> yeah. Gordon Ramsay is having problems. We're losing money left and right. And Gordon Ramsay shows up. And what does he say? It sucks. I can't believe it. Yeah. Unbelievable. The the stones well, on this man. The other, the other one too is like so. Like okay, season one, fine. I get it. Nobody's nobody's aware of anything, and, and there's twists and turns. Who knows what's gonna happen? Yeah. But as I mentioned, I'm on season five now. Yeah. So like by now, you have people who are like, I invited Gordon Ramsay, but literally did nothing to the walk-in freezer, and I'm like, okay. Like, now this is, like, a kink, right? Like, this is, like... <laughs> like, because because it may be worth it. I may want to spend mm. half a million dollars to ruin a restaurant <laughs> so that... Gordon can Gordon show up. comes in and yells at me. Like, that might be a thing. <laughs> you know what I think you need to do? Become... You know, uh, you can have a passive, free experience of all of that if you become really good friends with someone who owns a really bad restaurant in Santa Fe. Never let them and listen then to this I episode. Nominate them. Mm -hmm. Oh, I should nominate them. You nominate them. And you go like, I could really use some help. And then you just kind of sit there and watch Gordon Ramsay right. come in. And you're like, hi, oh, Gordon Ramsay. Everything's normal. And then you can get to talk to him as much as you want. Okay, so we will offline have mm -hmm. the conversation of which restaurant I should go do this at. Thinking about it. Thinking about it. Let's see. Can I come up with something in 10, 15 seconds? I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to think of family owned. Family owned. Not too great. Maybe used to be good. Lower the profile. Ooh, I have, well, I have, I have two actually. options. If I say them, they might hurt someone's feelings. So I'll say them. Yeah, we'll say them off camera. <laughs> you can give me the initials. No, just nope. No, no, no. We'll do it. We'll do it off camera. We'll do it off camera. One day. One day. <laughs> no, I 
what I'm going to do is I'm going to type in my nomination into the chat because I can do that. Ah, okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think quality has really dropped off there. I mean, I can type in here. I'm going to type in mine. And this will be perfect, I think, because it also has like a bar kind of situation. Um, huh. Oh, wait, that doesn't work. L you can DM it too, of I'm course. Gonna, like, As always. I think that's the one. Is that the one like right across from, um, is that that like old cowboy steak place? That one I just put uh, in there? Wait, did it uh -huh, correct uh -huh. the, view, the spelling? Yeah. Yeah, 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 okay, yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. That's it. Uh -huh, that place uh -huh. needs a big help it used to be popping i know that used to be like number one one of the number one spots when i went in there it looked like it was an outback about 25 years ago so um i don't know what that even means specifically that's what it looked like um i'll tell you more about it later okay they did they did do some renovations over the pandemic they did oh. take advantage okay um so Let's see. I've drank all the caffeine I have within reach of me. Kathy, uh, before I uh, start um, whiling out here and coming up with random things in my head to say, um, uh, is there anything you'd like to say? Um, let me see. Well, I mean, again, other than the, than the hardcore go-round of... Uh, Gordon Ramsay. I feel like I haven't really done more than that. I have been kind of knee deep in like city council. Yeah. Um, which, you know, I, I, we've talked a lot about is like how real it is and yet how like, like a parks and rec episode it is. And I feel like that just of course continues to always be the case. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel these days in watching the news. Yeah. Um, I feel bad. I feel, yeah, I, I feel it. bad. It makes me yeah. feel bad. The other, um, uh, yeah. Um, sometimes, it, sometimes when I wake still up, there's something very dissociative about it. Some, the only time we watch the news is on Saturday or Sunday morning, very early. We'll turn on, and I say this with, so that you'll understand we turn on like fox news on like saturday or sunday morning because that's like when the most like their audience stuff is like being played especially sunday you know to drink the poison that's why we're doing it, obviously but like uh for like you know 20 minutes or something like that and we'll we'll search like the regular cable news channels and the only reason we do that is just to see like what are they even like showing like what are they even like putting on there anymore um and it's always disgusting uh, but it's usually not what you think. It's like really weird. They're always reporting on all the different news channels. They're always reporting on like different things now. They're very rarely like covering like the same story. It's not even like they're covering the same story different ways. They're very rarely even covering the same thing now. It's very fragmented because all the audiences want different things. Something I've just observed. Mm -hmm. News is uh, reality after all. Reality television, in fact. So. Well, like uh, I remember during the pandemic, really, really trying to find mainstream news that wasn't also making me like want to put a bullet in my skull mm. right like and yes. um i feel like once upon a time like in the bush years i could watch things like fox news and right that was when like Sean hannity was also like with 
Hannity and Combs, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. um, things like that, right? Um, I remember during the pandemic going through Hulu and eventually settling on like ABC World News Tonight yes. as the most common. I, I can like actually like absorb the horror that they're describing to me in a way that I couldn't with like other ones. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I just want to say I get a feeling in my stomach right now just from having mentioned the fact that I watch Fox News like infrequently every once in a while, like as a thing to like as a research thing, like even that makes me a little sick. But it's true. I mean, I do. Yeah. Um, I mean, but for, I feel like I used to watch it for a lot of the same reasons. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like now I just. I don't know. I just, I feel like I just have less time on my hands, but I still don't look away. Right. Like if, if there's like a Tucker Carlson clip that comes across my timeline, chances are pretty good. I'll watch it because I want to know what the fuck is going on. And I don't want to just take it by like what the quote tweet says. I want to like actually hear it myself you know and so i don't turn away i definitely like meter it right like it's definitely like regulated the amount and i think i've mentioned i mute a lot i mute and block a lot so uh yeah that helps um yeah i mean i muted insider because they kept showing all that gooey cheese footage and it like really grosses me out so (laughs) i know i will mute things for the weirdest reasons so yes Mm mm-hmm but, you know, anyway, all that as a way of saying, like, uh, I feel like uh, even at things like city council, things that feel very personal to me, I feel like I'm dissociating during, mm-hmm. like, all the time now, Yep. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, everyone knows. I, I feel like, yeah, I feel like my connection to reality is growing more and more tenuous. But don't worry and... about it, uh, Kathy, too much, because it, as it turns out, it's happening to literally everyone. And it's not even just us in the yeah. media sphere anymore. It's not just yeah. us. It's people out there, every single person mm-hmm. I know and their parents and their cousins and their friends and their everyone in their family and everyone they work with. Everyone has that same feeling, which is, I'm going to say probably a feeling a little bit similar to the feeling that some people had in maybe the turn of the century back then where they felt like, wow, what the fuck is even happening? Like, what is the goal? What am I supposed to be doing? Everything seems hopeless. But uh, I don't know. Somehow we still keep moving forward, right? Okay. Hey, so. Uh, oh, yeah, your book. That's right. Sorry. No, continue what going. What book? <laughs> you were saying, saying, you saying about hopelessness before. Yeah, no, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of hopelessness. There's always a lot of hopelessness. But, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, as, as you know, and as I constantly mention, I mean, I, I work in a pretty hopeless sphere. You know, I mean, I work in 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 housing and gentrification and displacement against displacement and against gentrification and for housing. Right. But uh, it's actually been the more that I focus on my local government and my local community that I actually have grown more and more hopeful. And this is something I'm always telling my friends um, because I feel like a lot of them expect me to be the one who's despairing Mm. because they're like well kathy you're like in the fucking trenches like so if anyone's gonna be despondent and like fucking feeling like everything's awful it's gonna be you right and i'm like no like i believe in humanity more than ever um and that's like 
really bizarre, I think. Um, I appreciate that. Because I, I, I feel like I've almost, like, what if I said I've, like, deleted that, like, I don't know. It's so weird. Okay, so but. I'm going to I'm gonna read something to you. I did a reading last time. Please. Out of, out of Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Um, but uh, this is um, no, uh, William Faulkner's Nobel Prize acceptance speech. Yes. Uh, 1950, he accepted the Nobel Prize for Literature. It's a very short speech, thankfully. And I'm going to read it to y'all because it's one of my favorite things. It also gives me a lot of hope. Thank you. I, uh, thank you. I'm floating around here, so pin, pin me back down on the ground. Okay. Now, I don't have William Faulkner's soft-spoken Southern voice, but uh, there is a YouTube video of him uh, giving this speech, and he's very, like, soft-spoken in it. He's, like, almost whispering into the microphone. Oh, and yet, like, you can hear his power in it. It's very... Because he's got this, like, little old man Southern voice where he's like, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and it's, like, really cute. Anyway, I've never so seen cute. him or any of the screen uh, versions of his works, although I did read Sound of Fury in <laughs> high school. Oh, I mean, so like, I, I think we've been over this. I'm like a film dipshit too. So like, I like, I have a bunch of like his MGM scripts. Oh, I have cool. copies of The Big Sleep. Some of wow. uh, there is a there's a short uh, there's a short film of his called Barn Burning, starring Tommy Lee Jones, which is amazing. And it's only like 30, 40 minutes. It's wow. like a, it was like made for PBS or something. Huh. And it's the kind of thing that like English teachers show in English class, you know. But Sounds right. It's Tommy Lee Jones, you know, cool. like playing one of Faulkner's characters. Anyway, I, I can go on forever, Please. but um, I'll read a speech instead and let him do it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen, I feel that this award was not made to me as a man, but to my work, a life's work in the agony and sweat of the human spirit, not for glory and least of all for profit but to create out of the materials of the human spirit something which did not exist before. So this award is only mine in trust. It will not be difficult to find a dedication for the money part of it, commensurate with the purpose and significance of its origin. But I would like to do the same with the acclaim too, by using this moment as a pinnacle from which I might be listened to by the young men and women already dedicated to the same anguish and travail among whom is already that one who will someday stand here where I am standing. Our tragedy today is a general and universal physical fear so long sustained by now that we can even bear it. There are no longer problems of the spirit. There is only the question, when will I be blown up? Because of this, the young man or woman writing today has forgotten the problems of the human heart and conflict with itself, which alone can make good writing, because only that is worth writing about, worth the agony and the sweat. He must learn them again. He must teach himself that the basest of all things is to be afraid, and teaching himself that forget it forever, leaving no room in his workshop for anything but the old verities and truths of the heart the old universal truths lacking which any story is ephemeral and doomed, love and honor and pity and pride and compassion and sacrifice. Until he does so, he labors under a curse. He writes not of love, but of lust, of defeats in which nobody loses anything of value, of victories without hope, 
and worst of all, without pity or compassion. His griefs grieve on no universal bones, leaving no scars. He writes not of the heart, but of the glance. Until he relearns these things, he will write as though he stood among and watched the end of man. I decline to accept the end of man. It is easy enough to say that man is immortal simply because he will endure. That when the last ding-dong of doom has clanged and faded from the last worthless rock hanging tideless in the last red and dying evening, that even then there will still be one more sound, that of his puny, inexhaustible voice, still talking. I refuse to accept this. I believe that man will not merely endure, he will prevail. He is immortal, not because he alone among creatures has an inexhaustible voice, but because he has a soul, a spirit capable of compassion and sacrifice and endurance. The poets, the writer's duty is to write about these things. It is his privilege to help man endure by lifting his heart, by reminding him of the courage and honor and hope and pride and compassion and pity and sacrifice which have been the glory of his past. The poet's voice need not merely be the record of man, it can be one of the props the pillars to help him endure and prevail. So what do you think the main difference between enduring and prevailing is then under his definition? Uh, I think it's the difference between being and becoming. Not to be all like philosophical about it, uh, but uh, being is not reflective. Being is not considerate. Being is only existing. It's breathing, you know, but becoming, becoming is reflective. Becoming is like considerate. Like you, you think about becoming, uh, because you, we humans, I think even beyond humans, but we have choices in front of us. Uh, being doesn't exist in choice. Being exists only in, in the now, um, which is animalistic. That's what I was just um, You know, it's, it's, it's only about surviving, uh, water, uh, bread. But those aren't the things that actually give us life. Right. Uh, they're what keep us alive, but right. they're not what make me get up in the morning, right? right? Like, how could they be? Um it is these other things it's it's art and it's music and it's film and it's us talking about human struggle because yeah. it, it's what it's it's even what paulo freire says to us we have to confront reality and when we confront reality we know what's happening and that allows me and you together to say what do we do to change it because You're... here's the other one we know that i can't change it by myself Exactly. Like you have to agree with me I that do. we're both seeing the same fucking thing. I do. Right? Like and then we can do something, you know. I, I was just um I mean this is it though. This is what you're saying is I mean you were reading my mind as you were analyzing what you were saying, which is just means that we're in the same kind of sphere for long enough, but I, I I'd like to think that in all the other times in the world when a lot of um, restrictions and, and, and otherwise um, walls have been put up, you know, confinements to creativity have been put up that in that, you know, uh, 
as the diamond is as the carbon is being crushed into a diamond usually there's something good comes out of it and I'd like to think that that's the case with I know that that's the case with this time period I don't know what exactly the biggest identifiable thing coming out of it is if I did I'd be buying and selling all kinds of stocks related to that thing but the, the truth is that um, we're not going to know till we get there and we can only try our best and then look back and be like wow that's what we did and uh, I think that as long as we do what's in our heart and we focus on, like it said, um, our, like you were saying, Kathy, everything else in the world, eating, sustenance, all this other stuff, sleeping, maintaining your body, it's all overhead. And, and, and with the thing that we're actually trying to do is what you and I, like you said, are doing right now. And in it's that, about our humanity, like, yes. like, because like breathing, like taking another breath and eating some calories and taking a shit. Those are not what make me human. Yeah. It's pointless. I mean, it's not, it's irrelevant to our human experience because everyone does it, but also it's, it's just, it's just, it has nothing to do with what we're actually doing. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Because it also doesn't separate us from like a worm. Quite literally. Yes. Worms do what we do. They eat, they shit, they fuck. They have uh, an endocannabinoid systems. I mean, yeah. yeah. You know, but, uh, you know, are they making like complex societies where they all like create like worm wars? I don't know. If they are, you know, I'm going to film it. We're going to make something about it. But my guess is no. <laughs> worm wars, our new reality show. Exactly. <laughs> It'll... Here's one show that'll never get off the ground. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but the real dirt. <sighs> uh, oh, I tried to get something out of castings, but I just couldn't fit it in. Um, You've never seen such a spineless cast. There it is. Shit. There it is. You nailed it. Double pun. Double two and one. I don't know how I can't top that now. And I have to say BH1, <laughs> this is your reminder. Yes, thank you, Kathy. That there is talent God. here. Untapped. VH1 Just, and like so everyone is yeah. Puppy bowl, old hat. Kathy. You know what people want to see? Worms going at it. That's what people want to see. You know what else they really want to see? They want to see uh, two people from the internet dictate all their media choices and um, and what they want to be into and stuff. And uh, and hello, that's us. I mean, that's what you think. That's what we want. We got our finger on the pulse of millennial culture. We know I exactly think. what to do to make VH1 or M well, MTV already has a great profile. Hello, MTV. You're doing tremendous in your television lineup lately, and I congratulate you on bringing the challenge to the CBS network now that you're Viacom CBS. It's a great co-branding experience. And wouldn't it be wonderful if you could have Brian and Kathy on the challenge? We would make a great team. We love reality television, and it's already, I mean, it's literally made for us. We would also love to be on The Amazing Race, also a CBS, a fine CBS property. Also another fine CBS property is Survivor. If you're going to ever have a team, two podcasters on there, that's novel, mm -hmm. huh? You could have uh, Kathy and I. Here's another pitch. I think that... Um, <laughs> I, I want to like start creating contracts with all of Elon Musk's children now. Yes. Uh, yeah. I want to get them into mm -hmm. like a, you know, eight is enough for, you know, like a Kardashian type of dynasty yeah. legacy reality mm -hmm. show is what I want to do. Okay. 
Um, I think we can do like a like a long term. Uh, what's that? That one and, fucking link later film, Boyhood, right? Where oh. like he actually followed like someone like all their life. That's or the con- that's like the Kanye documentary too. It's he followed him for twenty years. Yeah, that's yep. So I want to do that with Elon Musk's children. And VH1, I feel like no one else has had that idea. Like, I, I'm not saying I'll give it to you for free. What I'm saying is bring me on. You don't like, like, that's only like a taste of my ideas, right? Like, like there's way more to that concept that of course I'm not going to say here. Cause yeah, just got to give you a taste. VH1, here's something else we need to say. This is something we've been thinking about for a long time. We we know how to program all this all this kind of stuff. Uh, let me let me hmm, let me back up. Video hits one. I have a DVD copy of uh, I love the '90s '97 through '99 on DVD that I recorded with a TiVo to a DVD recorder in 2000 whatever whenever it aired. I have it sitting in my PlayStation Five right now. I watched that DVD a couple days ago. Okay. With all the commercials in it, wonderful, wonderful program. Michael Ian Black, all those fellas in there goofing and japing, wonderful. There's no reason you can't just pop that back and put us in charge of doing a I Love the 90s 3, because I know you've done two of them. I watched both of them when I was a kid. If you just bring back I Love that whole, bring back that brand, put us in charge of it, I promise you, make it mostly a web thing, I promise you it will explode. Especially if you focus on ads. Especially if you focus on ads. But, you know, if you want uh, someone to run that, you can hire us. We do, do an incredible job. We'd be like the Adult Swim, uh, but for the VH1 generation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Basically. As much as I cringe when I say Adult Swim as like a brand thing. And I know that you own that brand too, and I love uh, 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 Adult Swim as a brand. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Man, no, Viacom big, big CBS, you really control it all, don't you? I, uh-huh. I am proud of you. And if you get us in that envelope, man, we will build you a project like you've never seen. Yeah. No, there's just, there's, you know, it, it's just one of those things where like, yeah, you're probably looking for like the next influencers. Uh-huh. Just remember that those people are tryhards. And so like, exactly. you know, they're not going to get it right. We're never going to have you know? a hype house. We're never going to like mm-hmm. get you mm-hmm. in trouble in like terms of online doing something weird. We're like the most boring. I mean, believe me, we live very to our own selves, very exciting lives. But, mm-hmm. but to the outside no. world, we're very boring people. And in fact, we don't really get involved in anything that would ever really be like anything at all. Too much. So I, I wouldn't worry I, about it. I'm not even on TikTok. Yeah, I'm not know? either. Yeah. So, like... so we're, we're a really low risk factor. So if you've listened to this thus far, and we're going to repeat it probably almost every single episode, but this is the only thing that a listener to this program has to do. Two things. One, tell your friends. Two, somehow convince someone in your list of contacts at VH1 to bother us. If they get to us, we'll do the rest. Don't worry about that. Mm-hmm. That's all you have to mm-hmm. do. And I know there's a lot of people out there with a lot of connections. So listen to us, do your thing. And uh, and you don't even have to pay for the program. Isn't that great? Do you realize that we've never ad- had done an ad or asked for any money, and we never will? And that's never my will. promise to you, for both mm-hmm. of our pro- both my programs. We do this for do. the love. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I-, I want you to really sit down just for a moment out there. You're, you're the VH1, person. VH1. If you gave me money, I would funnel it back into the movement. Just know that. Like I wouldn't like buy a Ferrari. Like I don't want a fucking Ferrari. What the fuck do I want that shit for? Do you think I'm gonna buy like seven hundred dollars sneakers? Not happening. Like. Mm-mm. I have spent uh, 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 an amount of money to uh, produce this podcast. 
and I don't care about what that amount of money is. I bought hardware and all the stuff. I don't care about that. The only thing I want to do is talk in front of a microphone and cover my costs. That would be great. And VH1 can do that with a job and also a staff of uh, four or five. That would be great. I got to be right back again. Mm -hmm. I'll try not to uh, say too much while I'm here. VH1, it's us. We're who you need. Seems weird, but it's true. Think about it. We could be the people that, uh, I don't know, talk over the Adam Curtis documentaries like Mystery Science Theater 3000, and actually you'd have an audience who would be like, wow, that's funny, that's crazy, that's wild. Um, think about it. Industrial films, really, everything. Reality television. We could be the first to really Mystery Science Theater reality television. That's just another idea. Now you just stole that from us. How do you like the free idea I just gave VH1? I just said that we could, uh, I just said that we could be the first people to actually mystery science theater reality television, like a re yes. old originally reality television. Ref yeah, mm -hmm. that's pre it's preserved uh, on this podcast. We now own that idea. You cannot take that from us. Thank you. I also have all kinds of brilliant ideas for like new horizons and merch. Yes. Yes. Well, uh, we're going beyond beach towels and mugs and mm -hmm. water bottles here. Yeah. No, 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 no. We're, again, we're going to just hold on to all of those ideas. Yes, exactly. So here's the thing. Anything away. Uh, we're busy. Um, and, uh, and, we, and we like to be paid for our time uh, up, to the, our, uh, up to our expenses. So that's what I'll take. I'll also take $2.5 million in a team of five, if we're really talking. But... Um, you know. From my listeners, nothing. From VH1, exactly. Let's mm -hmm. let, let's negotiate. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about a contract. You, you need you need quid pro quo. Exactly. From our listeners, we hope you're just having a good time. You need, a, you need a... some laughs. <laughs> Enjoy those on us. Exactly. And hey, here's proof of production. We've already made like forty. I've made forty-five podcast episodes. I made about fifteen, sixteen here with Kathy. And by the time next year, we'll have over, well over fifty, and we'll have two hundred in uh, four years. So <laughs> we're not going away. I'll tell you that. No, we have we have too much reality to talk about, which is you know, uh, actually helping me kind of keep back. Like it's helping me keep a handle on reality. Right. Okay having a moment to just kind of reflect on it and go, yeah, I guess all of this shit is happening, huh? <laughs> it, is, it is happening, yes. Uh, uh, having this time to reflect on all of this has been really good because even though, you know, you can discuss reality television in the home, it's always interesting to have an outside perspective and not just on that, but on everything else. Um, and I've really valued this project so far. We're only on episode, what, 16, right? And um, 15, something like that. Season two, episode three, that much I know. And uh, we're constructing something special here. And if it sounds like it's under construction, it's because it is. And that's all we can offer you. But so, but so is reality. Exactly. We're, constru <laughs> we're constructing our reality. This is, a, this is a thing we get to remember, you know? Where the sidewalk ends, that's because we have more sidewalk to build. Mm, that's a lovely, lovely way to close it out. I... I feel, Kathy, that um, every time we end an episode, I'm already thinking of the things that I want to talk about in the next episode, so it's probably a good place to end it. And I'm, 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 I'm just overwhelmed already. I have a list of things that I wrote down when you were talking, and I wrote down two things maybe I'd like to read next time. So I'm pumped already 
for ne- the next episode. And I hope you, if you have the opportunity at home, you're like, wow, that's incredible. I wonder if they have a new episode. They probably do. So go back and listen to the old ones. There's a whole bunch of those. And I know that people are actually going back and listening to the old ones because I see the counts on them go up. People are starting from the very beginning. So I, I encourage you, viewer that's at home, awesome. to go back and start at the very beginning. Because I know, uh, let's see, episode, let's, I'll just give you the stats. Episode zero had th- oh, right. episode zero had 30 listens um about three or four weeks ago and now it's up to like 52 which means that a significant <gasps> number of people have gone back and actually started from the beginning that's pretty cool and i will say this we've been having a lot more uh, listens also on soundcloud so remember my joke about having soundcloud be the way to post it it is soundcloud is the way you want to post awesome. it it's working yeah, it's great. I'm very happy with everything that's happening here. And the thing that makes me most happy is the fact that you and I kind of just did this. We don't have any experience. We don't really know what we're doing. We're just kind of winging it. And we're doing a really good fucking job. So hats off Yay. to us. Hats off and to al- us. Also a reminder that we get to craft our reality. There ain't, there's nothing stopping us anymore, right? Exactly. Um, we can all be Gordon Ramsay. We can all be chefs. We can all be punk. And actually, this is way cooler than punk because punk was just about like using an instrument to imitate something and try to do it like your own way. We're just fucking making everything up. So <laughs> is, I, I'm still going to learn drums one day, though, I promise. Yeah, that would be cool. Well, I can kind of mess around on the keyboard. So one day we'll make a really great team. Yes. OK, we're going to do it. We're so Ka- do it. what are we going out on, Kathy? What song is playing right now? Oh, um, it's been playing I think it should be the, okay, it should be the aggressive surf music from Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmare. Okay. <laughs> I remember that subtitle, so I'll pull that up. Aggressive surf music, and I'll put it in brackets, because that's how I yes. Okay, aggressive surf music Speaking of punk, right? Speaking of punk, exactly. aggressive surf music. So what else is punk if not aggressive surf music and and um and how about this go 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 watch some gordon ramsay with your friends go watch uh i don't know i i think i've been watching lost still i've been watching 55 different programs and if you aren't then i don't know how you're getting through your day so mm-hmm. but write us write us and tell us how you're getting through your day if you're listening to uh, a reality television podcast and not list, watching consuming a ton of media because that would be a very strange thing uh, I don't even own a TV, and someone's watching this fucking podcast. <laughs> I love this. This is great. Yes. We're Blessings. awakening new things every. Yes. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. The music has been playing. Goodbye. <laughs> Thank you, Chef. Who is that? You're serving rotten food. You possibly kill them. Then wake up. You wake up. <laughs> Shut the place down. Get out of here! That is amazing! Thank you, Chef. What is that? You're serving rotten food. You possibly kill them. Then wake up! You wake up! Shut the place down.